0: Welcome back to another episode of Inside Canadian Real Estate. Today, I'm here with my friend Jack Kerr. He's a mortgage broker, mortgage expert um, over at Donaldson Capital. Donaldson Capital is an incredible family run firm, a boutique firm specializing in luxury properties and cottages, construction financing, but they also handle all your traditional financing needs as well. They're well connected with A lenders, B lenders, private lenders. They got the whole bit. Um, And today we're just talking about all of it. We're going to be talking about interest rates. We're going to be talking about mortgaging options. Um, If when I just gave out all those options of A, B and C lenders, maybe you're like, what the heck does that mean? We'll talk about all that today. Um, So if you're interested at all in, in financing real estate or the options available for different kinds of projects, whether for your home or for your build, that's going to come up today. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Thanks for coming, man. Mm. Thanks, buddy. I my appreciate pleasure. you coming down. I know it's a little, a little bit of a drive, but not too bad. No, not too bad at all. But uh, today, we're going to talk about a bunch of uh, fun stuff. But before we do that, why don't I have you introduce yourself so everyone knows who we're talking to here today.
1: Yeah. Jack Kerr, Donaldson Capital, uh, mortgage broker. Um, I actually just completed my broker's license, so I'll be switching my uh, my actual license to a broker. Nice. exciting. Uh, Congrats. been in the business for three years. Uh, recently made the transition to Donaldson Capital, and uh, we have a focus on high net worth individuals, and then, of course... Uh, a lot of my clientele are in the first-time buyers, uh, investors, first-time in, and uh, matured investors, and then uh, we dabble in the again the high net worth clients. Mm. Not dabble; that's our main focus. Right. Yeah.
0: I love that, but man, I mean th- that that segues me perfectly into like what the heck is going on with mortgages and interest rates, man. You and me both. Man. Holy cow!
1: It's a daily uh, daily change, as as you I'm sure see yeah. all the time. Uh, there's so much so much news around it, and. Uh, conversations kind of are focused mm-hmm. on interest rates right now in the market and wh- what's happening yeah and uh, yeah over the last couple of years we've seen rates come to historic highs and they've stayed there for, for the for a bit and it's it's very interesting
0: yeah it's That's wild it. I mean so you mentioned like at Donaldson Capital which seems to be a really a really solid spot I mean mm-hmm. I've looked into you guys quite a bit we're probably going to use you on a project like I mentioned we've been going back and forth with that yeah um, you guys do have some unique products and some unique experience especially mm-hmm. with that market and we'll talk about that in a bit but you mentioned you focus a lot on high net worth clients. Mm. So let's talk for a second, like broadly, we're talking rates and mortgages. Do you see that high net worth segment of the market being affected as much more or less than like the general public is feeling rates right now?
1: They're, they're not as, uh, as affected um, um, as uh, h- higher interest rates yield, of course, a little bit lesser purchase prices. There's also yeah. more opportunities. Um, so w- with the capital that they have, they're able to make moves in this type of market where others aren't. Yeah. And again, those interest rates, they realize that are temporary, yep. where the first time buyer, for example, that only has that that certain qualification that they mm. can purchase at. It's much h- harder for right. them, where high net worth, someone that's sitting on a lot of capital, a lot of investments, uh, is able to move their money right. and allocate it accordingly.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're down to your last 10 grand, you lose half, you're at five, you're in, you're in a painful spot. But if you're at your 50 million and you're down 25, you still got 25. Yeah. So it helps. I mean, the only thing I think of that I always would wonder, like with the high net worth is like they also are involved in a lot more stuff. Like mm. if they have that high end cottage, they have that nice home. Maybe they have that vacation place in Florida. Yep. Like I was always wondering, do they maybe still feel it pretty badly if they're affected across the board or yeah. are, they, are they still pretty insulated?
1: Yeah. So someone that has a larger portfolio yeah. or if they're in variable rates, they've definitely felt that uh, heat over the last couple of years mm. of rates rising. So, yeah, they're not definitely not immune to it at it by any means. They just have the means to be able to yeah. afford, afford it um, or at least weather the storm a little bit better. Right. Or someone that had a variable rate in 2020 or 2021 and mm. now they're sitting at double or tr- three times what they were then, they're a lot more affected if they have limited ways to... Uh, afford that home or multiple properties. If it's an investor, totally. investor yeah.
0: that makes sense. So for, for the general public, like let's, let's, again, I want to stay broad a little bit first and then we'll go deep. But if we can talk about just mortgages right now, general mm-hmm. public, your home, your primary residence, mm. what are we looking at right now? Roughly. I know it depends on the lender and the bank, but what are we looking at right now in the range of rates for your average, you know, excellent credit score. Mm-hmm. I'm buying a house or I'm doing a refi. Like what's that scenario looking like right now in terms of rates?
1: Yeah, so if you're purchasing a home underneath a million bucks, you can get an insured mortgage at roughly like five point eight four percent. It's not terrible. And mm. then if you're refinancing your primary residence into a new thirty-year AM, five-year fix, you're roughly six point four, like three percent, six point four percent, in and around there. Interesting.
0: Why is the refi higher?
1: Because uh, you're a thirty-year AM, so it's un- 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 uninsured. Right. Right. It's a conventional mortgage, so yeah. there's no CMHC or or Genworth or. Canada Guarantee Insurance backing it. Gotcha. So the lenders take more risk, so in turn they of course charge a higher premium on that rate.
0: Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Now, are we still seeing like the math is is weird because I'm seeing people buy houses still. Yep. Like our neighbor across the street just just moved in. They bought two three months ago, almost 1.9 million. And I'm trying to do the numbers in my head. What kind of income you need to get approved at you know 30 percent down? Let's say on 1.9 million. The numbers seem kind of crazy. Like yeah. the income you need, like. Is there ways around this? Is there, is there is there some sort of strategy people are using to get into this, or or is everyone like a lot more rich than I expected?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I it's it's tough. You're right. Like the income that you need in a in a dual income scenario, like 250k annually yeah. um to afford something like that. Mm. I mean, I don't see a lot of people. I mean, we, sorry, we do see a lot of people making that money, but the um average income in Canada right. isn't that high.
0: That's but the thing. It, like. So, I always wonder how they're 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 doing these 2 million dollar deals with the interest rates we're at. Yeah. Um when they don't look. I mean obviously if you if they're like business owners and they're super well off and yeah. if, that's different but I'm talking about like I'm seeing regular people with regular jobs buying these crazy, like, I mean, is it? Do you see a lot of people rolling equity? Is that where we're at? Like, they sold their place and they're kind of rolling yeah. a lot of that into the new place to kind of ease the burden a little bit on the finance side? Yep,
1: they are. But a lot of people kind of cap their equity on, like, in previous low interest rate times, mm. they refinance. So there isn't, there is some people that are even selling and they're not getting a lot of equity out of their home because maybe their mortgage was maxed out at 80% loan to value. Right. There's different scenarios there. But if someone Ooh. did have a very low equity position mortgage on a house and they're selling and now they can go into a bigger home yeah. and put a large down payment down. If they're underneath that 65% loan to value mm. on a property, there's lo- there's quite a few lenders that we can utilize that will extend ratios for clients. Also alternative lenders, some sometimes known as B lenders have different yeah. programs, especially with self-employed. Mm-hmm. We can use business income to help qualify them versus what they're showing on their T1 generals or if they're T4. So that can br- bring a higher yield of an income to right. be able to qualify them. Mm. Right interesting so there's different ways to structure it. we're also seeing multi generational um, purchases right where people are having additional co-signers coming right, in, right their parents yeah.
0: Mm. yeah, or some
1: income maybe there's an income suite in the basement uh, um, helps out yes. sort of with qualifying right
0: yeah and, th- and that's what I always think of that too like when people say like p- the people that say the markets gonna come down I'm like mm. People will just put more families in a house before we start seeing those. Like like before demand disappears in the market, you'll just see more people under one roof. That, that's what's going to happen. And it's going to drive the prices up, I think, even more.
1: We're already seeing that a lot.
0: hundred percent. I, I just see it walking around, like just looking on our street, you yep. see it. So it's definitely definitely happening. Now for the average family, like a big hot ticket issue right now is like, I'm in a house. Um, I'm on a variable rate. I've been on a variable rate. Yeah. And my, now I've heard different things from different people, depending on their lender, but I'm hearing these different stories of what's happening. Some people are saying my mortgage is going up, it's going up every month or it's going up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Some are up for renewal. Oh my God, it jumped. Some of them are saying, no, it hasn't gone up, but just my amortization. Can you, if you can, but like speak to that, cause I actually want to know over myself, like clarity and like. What, what is exactly going on there with people's mortgages that are supposed to be climbing? Why are some are climbing? Why are some not? What are what are the options banks are giving these clients right now? Like, why is it different across the board? I'm just interested in hearing about that because I'm trying to figure it out myself.
1: Yeah, like specifically on a variable rate, you mean? Where, yeah, where, l- where a variable rate has gone up, but their, exactly. pa- but their payment hasn't necessarily gone up? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So there is certain lenders in, in the space um, at the bank and as well in the broker channel that work on kind of a, stat- it's called a static variable. Mm. And what happens there is your payment stays the same, but the interest um, and principal s- changes. So as rates go up, the amount of principal that you're paying every month goes down and the amount of interest goes up. Mm. Now at a certain point when in- interest rates get to a, it's called their trigger rate, that's when you do have the, uh, um, an option and they they send you usually a letter or call you and tell you that you have to increase your payments in order to pay some principal. Because as of this point, you're just paying interest only. Right. And then that's where you get into these extended amortizations, which you've seen in the news, where it's showing 40 or 50 years amortized yeah. on mortgages, which really isn't allowed on residential mortgages um, mm. through off-sea. So there's, something, there's some stuff that they're doing in the back end to try and figure out how to do that. But that's, right. wh- that's where they ran into tr- trouble, is on uh-huh. these static variable rate mortgages, where your payment doesn't change as variable rates go up.
0: Right, that makes sense. Yeah, because that's what I've been hearing from a lot of people was that was that they're on variable, and for some reason their payment didn't go up for a while. Yeah, but now it is. So they yes. basically hit that max amortization. Yeah, it's all interest. Yep. which kind of sucks because you're basically paying rent. You're renting 100%. money. That's what you're doing. Yeah,
1: I mean you own the home at the end of the day. So right. if you needed to sell it, you're still going to get right. some equity out of it. But hopefully, but you're not paying any principal. <laughs> yeah, off. yeah, yeah, you're right. Hopefully,
0: and we're and we're, we're getting a lot of. Um, So, you know, I'm in the business like, yes, I'm a real estate agent, but also Mm -hmm. I'm in the investment side and our family has a house flipping business where we do a good volume of these deals. And a lot of our deals lately have been coming from people that um, that's happening to. So they've hit Mm -hmm. that cap of amortization. The payment's now climbing, but it's significant enough that they can't get out of it. They're just like, I can't make this payment. The problem is the biggest issue we're seeing is we have those people come to us now. And we try to figure out, great, what do you need for your house to get out of it? Mm-hmm. They need more than the house is worth. And when you talk to them as why, why do you want that number? It's Because that's what they owe. Maybe they've remortgaged, maybe mm-hmm. whatever the case is, they bought at the wrong time. Second mortgages. They've burnt their equity, whatever it is exactly. Yeah. And, and they can't get out of that. Like, is that a problem you see a lot? And how do you kind of advise people to stay out of that? Like, how do you avoid doing that as a homeowner, getting that position where now you're totally screwed, you owe more than the house is worth and you're yeah. stuck? How do you avoid that?
1: I mean, that's a really tough question. I mean, if you're in a situation where you have to tap into that equity for whatever you said, Mm. any of those reasons. I mean, a lot of people will do what they have to do to keep their house, right? Mm. Um, I mean, of course, we advise not to do certain things, maybe not to get into risky uh, second mortgage situations or third mortgage situations. Those can be very risky and high rates. So, again, we just try and mitigate that, but there's a lot of people who will just do what they need to do in order to save right. that house. So, if they're seeing uh, a decrease in cash flow because of whatever reason and they need to add a second mortgage to be able to pay off debt mm. or um, just give them some cash flow to be able to pay the first mortgage, that's really, uh, that's probably the worst thing that you, wow. can, you yeah. can do. But people do do it. Ooh, you're um, getting a mortgage to pay the mortgage, that yeah. hurts.
0: Yeah. So, do you see, because like, I'm going to be judgy now, um, do, you, do you see more people? doing it for smart reasons coming in and saying, no, I actually do have something to pay or I need Mm -hmm. the money. Or do you see discretionary, like no reason I just like, and this is more like when we were top of the market, I was imagining in my head, people are just going, well, I kind of wanted a new car and a new pool and a new thing, Mm -hmm. a new vacation. Like, do you see a lot of that? Or is it more like legit reasons? Like I actually need the money for bills. Yeah, I see
1: a lot of legit reasons. If Mm. it's someone that's just wishing to purchase new things, especially in this market that we would not suggest doing that. I mean, like you said, when rates were low and people were taking yeah. money out of their house really to, to kind of fund a lifestyle, yeah. that happened more, um, or they were just taking equity out because rates were so low so they could and right. it didn't affect their payment uh, that much. Um, so then they're sitting on cash or they're buying toys and whatever, like the things you said. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these days we're seeing a lot of people that if they are doing refinances or second mortgages to help with cash flow for whatever reason, there is a, some type of plan there right, uh, to either pay out that pr- mortgage either with a sale or maybe some other investments that are coming in whatever the case may be
0: it's like a it's like kind of a lifeline it is they're, they're trying to buy a lot time of people use their house a as a lifeline that makes sense This yeah. is actually interesting because i like i'm genuinely wondering this stuff because i'm seeing yeah. all these different scenarios play out i'm kind of wondering why are people doing what they're doing yeah. or how is it playing out mm-hmm. um but it does seem like and because that you can of answer my next question because that's what i was going to ask was like it seems like a very bad idea to get a second mortgage to pay the first mortgage if you don't have a plan because then if you get that second one and still can't make that payment, like what are your options then? Like is there a third mortgage to pay the second mortgage? Like how do they get out of that? Yeah, I mean, again,
1: I don't work on a lot Crazy. of those files. Those are pretty risky stuff. Yeah. And again, it's uh, tough to find lenders that would do that scenario because yeah. maybe you're already behind on your first mortgage um, or they can see that you're really strapped for cash. But. Most of the time when someone's doing a strategy like that, it would be a very clear exit. Maybe they're listing their house in the next three months to six months, so they need a little bit of cash to be able to pay, pay some of their monthly God. monthly bills, and then also take out some equity to maybe update the mm. house, do some fixing around to be, be able to get top dollar. Yeah. That would kind of be the only scenario that I would suggest doing that mm. if you're already strapped for cash to begin Makes with. Makes sense. If you were going to maybe sell Makes that sense. house yeah, yeah you have a plan yeah, yeah i like that 100%. or or some investors if they have another um equity like position in another home they're going to list that uh, that inve- investment property right you know right. you have money coming yeah back you have in. money coming in, i like right? that yeah
0: let's cover there's a few things i want to cover because i feel like a lot of people have misconceptions on this too but mm. when it comes to getting a mortgage yeah it's, it's not just a bank a lot of people think it's just i go to the bank for mortgage there mm-hmm. there's a lot of options out there um, I think that's one of the value propositions of why you work with a broker yep. and why I'd like to work with a broker. Typically, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people ask me why, like why have a broker can pay their fees, but I don't think they understand that there's, there's a benefit to not just going to your bank. Like if you're at CIBC and saying, Hey, I need a mortgage, what can you give me? There's actually a benefit to shopping around cause there are options yep. and we've thrown around terms already, like a lenders, B lenders. Can you kind of talk about that landscape a little bit? Like what kind of lenders are out there? How do we tier them? What do we need to know about that?
1: Yeah, I think the one thing I want to touch on there is the fact that working with a mortgage broker, a good broker, should suggest that you always talk to your bank first, mm. or at least at some point. Because your bank, of course, they have your, your full portfolio, they they know you as a borrower, right. and they're going to offer you a specific rate um, that then that's what you want to shop shop around on. So then you come mm-hmm. to me as a, as a broker and you say, hey, listen, my bank's offered me 6.2%. On a uh, on a new purchase, and I say, okay, well, let's see what we can do. So then we come up with a solution where we we can offer six percent. So then you know nice. that your your bank's offering this, and we're offering that, and you're getting the best solution out of that. So mm-hmm. that puts, of course, you at ease knowing that you're getting the best option, right? Because uh, typically you'd think your bank would give you the best rate, but that's not right. always the case, and typically it's not.
0: Yeah.
1: And then uh, you wanted to know what kind of the differences between your your tiers. So of course you have your your prime lenders, your large Banking institution, those yeah. are known as your, your A banks. You have your monoline lenders that are built in there as well, which are your banks that just deal in mor- mortgages. Mm. And they're d- usually accessed through the broker channel only. Some of those lenders would be MCAP, which is one of the largest, huh. largest mortgage companies in Canada. First National is well known. Gotcha. And then, um, and then you have your, your A- B lenders or alternative lenders, we like to call them Equitable Bank, Home Trust. Those lenders, of course, they have uh, extra appetite for extended ratios over yeah. and above that typical like 44%. And then you have your private lenders, which is like a C category. But again, right. some people use that private lenders as a tool uh, to enter properties. Again, if you're an investor, yeah. private lenders can be a very lucrative asset to your yeah. to your. Uh, yeah portfolio and that,
0: that's a channel that we've used a lot too oh, for yeah. sure as private lenders yeah i'm curious yeah. like on, from the broker side so pretty much we have three tiers we have our our a lenders it's our banks and like you mentioned like the first nationals of the world as well yep. you have your b lenders and you have your private when you guys are setting up like these relationships with private lenders mm-hmm. is that typically an actual individual that you've built a relationship with or is there some way that's done at like an enterprise scale and there's this pool of private lenders you pull from
1: i think a bit of both Mm -hmm. as a good broker you should always be building relationships with like again high net worth individuals that want to lend their money on on mortgages right so those are found through your own center of center of influence if you want to call it and then just um as you expand your business you find these people that want to lend in mortgages and then there of course is a a wide range of private lenders that are uh, registered they have their mortgage administration license they are mortgage investment corporations and we go to them as brokers and bring them deals. We usually they have um, typical as- appetites that they want to see with deals. Right. So we know which ones to go to for s- specific properties. Right. I know we're working on or we're going to work on a construction yeah. file. Yeah. So that's only only specific lenders have appetites for those. Mm. So you're not going to just shop that around to every every la- uh, lender. Right. You want to know which ones you can go to.
0: Right. No, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so w- when you're doing private lenders, like you mentioned on the more like institutional side, yep. those companies. Um, Are those, I don't don't, this might be too deep, but are those companies, because they're obviously raising capital themselves, so they're going to individuals pooling capital, are they typically like private equity styled companies? Is that how they're they're doing that? And then you guys just borrowing from them? Yeah, typically. Interesting. And so like me, though, as an individual, if I said, hey, Jack, I have a million bucks I want to put out on mortgages, yep. you could also broker directly with me. You yes. can get my money working on a deal. That's correct. And I can kind of set the criteria of what I'm looking for and tell you what I'd be willing to do or not do. And that's it's correct. just to me is I don't have to have any sort of special license or business to do that. It goes through you.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Oh, that's As long cool. as you're considered a designated designated investor. So you just have to have a certain asset um, worth or, or income and then you can yeah. you can lend your own money.
0: Do you know roughly what that is?
1: uh yeah your income has to be above 250k a year annually yeah. 200 to 250k a year annually yeah. um or two plus two million in assets liquid assets
0: got it and is that the same if you're what if you're a corporation like i own a business i have some extra cash i want to invest from there can it be done from there too yes oh that's cool and same yeah. criteria on the business or it's based on the individual S-
1: yeah no it's similar oh yeah, that's interesting oh that's very cool yeah.
0: see because that's not an option that i thought about a lot because we've been at low rates for so long yeah. but now that we're where we're I think that's a viable option for a lot of people like that are higher net worth and they want a safe investment. Yeah, connecting with brokers like you guys and saying, "Hey, I want to put my money to work." Yeah. makes a lot of sense now because you're probably getting what like ten percent plus fees that like around. Yeah, rates
1: mark. rates are always negotiable and that wow. dictates um, on the risk of the the deal, right? right. And uh, your appetite, but yeah, definitely first mortgage is usually 10, 10 to twelve, wow. and then second mortgages anywhere from twelve to fourteen percent. And how,
0: how long, like what's the appetite for the typical private investor? Like how long do they want their money out for? Like they're, they're obviously not doing 30-year mortgages. No, so no like usually there's no
1: amortization. It's interest only. Mm. So then your terms are usually two, sorry, one to three years right. max on the private side. I mean, some people even do six months. And then there's lenders yeah. that we work with that have open terms. So there's no prepayment at all. You can basically pay that mortgage out at any time, which is beneficial.
0: That's cool. Yep. That's neat. Yeah, so really the private lending is a tool like from from the person getting it standpoint, it's a tool that's really just a bridge. Yeah. It's I'm gonna, like we said before, I'm gonna get something eventually, yeah. but I need this in the interim. So whether it's like construction or it's an investment property or it's whatever, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. You're getting it 12 months and then once you get whatever you need to get, maybe you're doing a renovation, you're doing a build, you'd go back to a B or an A lender and refi out. Right? That's correct. Very cool. So tell me about Donaldson Capital. I wanna hear kind of, you recently joined the team. Yeah. Um, you're working with them now. Mm-hmm. What, what's different? What's special about him? Tell me about him.
1: So yeah, Drew Donaldson is the principal broker, and he's been in the business now for close to 20 years. And uh, he's created such a unique niche and been able to help so many people in the category of, again, high net worth. Um, people looking to either purchase their um, second homes in Muskoka. So we, we focus on the Toronto and Muskoka area. Mm. And then uh, there also is a, a factor there of your construction financing. So he specializes in construction financing. Um, and again, we're, we're a boutique brokerage. It's just three three brokers, and nice. w- yeah, it's very exciting. Very exciting. That's
0: very cool. Mm-hmm. So, with with everything that's been going on, like, are you guys still seeing a lot of movement in that? Like, how's Muskoka doing through all this? Like, are they just thriving still?
1: It's interesting. Doing a lot of deals up there still, wow. and there's stuff moving. Um, it, it's it's an interesting market, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, because uh, I was gonna ask you because I I talked to a planner. I think through one of your referrals, yes, I ended up talking to a planner. Yeah, and he's like we're super busy right now. We're doing X number of deals, this many proposals, we're swamped. And I'm like, why are you guys swamped? Because in my head, I'm thinking everything's slowing down. Right. He's like, no, no, no. Everybody's building stuff right now. Yeah. That blew my mind because I'm expecting the opposite. I'm expecting yeah. them to be slowing down, but they're doing a lot of construction, which means you guys should probably be also pretty busy in the construction financing side right now. Yeah, that's correct. Right? So that's yeah. probably keeping me pretty busy. It is. That's interesting. And and they're usually already have a primary residence, probably Toronto, the clients that you work with. Yeah. Yeah, the And clod- this is their secondary.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Drew's, again, he started in the in, in the Toronto market. So his clients have all, of course, uh, grown up now are purchasing properties up in Muskoka. We do have an office in Port Carling, So we have a lot of the realtors up there trust us with their clients. And then, of course, builders. We have a lot of builder relationships. So then when right. they have clients that are needing construction financing, as you can imagine, there's some people that don't necessarily need construction financing. They pull equity or something from their investments. Uh, there's different ways that they can do that, but...
0: Yeah. Interesting. Is there anything you guys do that's like super cool or different from like another broker? Like, if I had to say, here's something really different about you guys, I mean, you specialize obviously in the areas you mentioned, um, but I'm sure there's other brokers that do construction, other brokers that do Muskoka. Is there anything unique about what you guys are bringing or offering?
1: I think just our customized mortgage solution um, strategy, just how Uh we look at portfolios as a whole, um, just kind of structuring deals the best that we can for that client. There's just, there's just something to be said about someone just coming to you for a construction deal and not looking at the rest of their portfolio to see if there's other, other ways to access that money without maybe doing a high, high interest uh, construction deal. There's, just, there's a lot to be said about that customized mortgage uh. solutions and, and how we, we look at our clients and underwrite our deals.
0: Yeah, because that's the hardest. Anytime you're working with a lender, like yeah. I'll say from the client perspective, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to doing things that are not conventional, like yeah. you're not just buying a ha- your house and, and financing it 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 you have to get the right broker you have to get the right person because like it's a lot of effort explaining like certain people just don't get it they've not been in those shoes they don't understand Mm -hmm. the scenario they don't really know what you're trying to convey um and i think having specialized expertise goes a long way and having a process that can account for all the variables goes a long way um because not every broker is created equally and not every lender is created equally um and so i think that that's huge like if that like that's why when I thought like this project we're doing in Bracebridge, like we're building that custom house. I yep. thought of you right away because I know you guys specialize in that, mm-hmm. and it's a different conversation than if I go to. And of course, a lot of brokers will say, "Yeah, yeah, we can do construction financing," but they do like one a year, yep. and it's not what they do. Like, no. and they think they understand, but they don't. You're trying to explain certain scenarios or certain timelines or certain needs, and they, it just doesn't make sense. So when you go to someone that's specialized, it goes a long way. And I think that makes, uh, I mean, that right there makes it worth it. Like trying to find someone that does what you do.
1: Yeah. And honing our craft too. Like market changes all the time. Different lenders change their, um, their appetite all the time. So just knowing that having the relationships, having the conversations, if you're doing construction deals once a year, that lender that you went to last time might not have an appetite for construction anymore. So construction's always being done at your firm Mm -hmm. and with your broker, those conversations are always being had. Right. Uh, right. So we, those relationships are strong. We know which lenders we can take those deals to, and and get get you the funds quickly. Yeah. Um. There was something else that I thought of, but it, it kind of passed
0: my mind. By. Escaped so right. your yeah. mind. Yeah, it escaped. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Um, <laughs> uh, my next kind of. Point I want to go on there too is like right now, like if you're giving sort of some guidance, like let's say there's some because you focus on high net worth. I mean, obviously, you probably can service anybody. I'm yeah, sure I you guys sur- do a lot. I service of,
1: all clients. Again, yeah. I've had people reach out and they're like, oh, do you only deal with high net worth mm. clients? Like, I don't fig- I don't feel like I'm in that bracket. And it's like, well, no, absolutely not. I've, i like, again, I'm from Barrie, I have a, um, a very unique situation where i have Mm -hmm. a large center center of influence so i have a lot of clients that i work with and a lot of friends that i work with and whoever needs a mortgage and um, needs guidance i'm there for i think that's the biggest thing gotcha Um, but with like you said those niches that especially drew has been able to dial in Mm -hmm. on the high net worth the construction and second home purchases Mm. it just allows us to be the 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 focus the the focus and the ones to go to for those needs
0: yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah. So if we go if we go general for a second and then yeah. I want to I want to go into your target market, but I want to yeah. get some advice. Mm-hmm. So on the on the general public side, I'm buying my first house. Mm-hmm. Which is which is happening. A, there's there's <clears throat> debate on should I be? Cuz a lot of people are yeah. like maybe I'm going to wait, maybe I'm not going to wait, but nonetheless, I've decided to pull the trigger. I'm I'm trying to get into a place in the yep. next 3 to 6 months. What should I be thinking about? What steps should I be taking as an individual yep. right now to make sure that I'm going to be able to secure that financing. I'm going to be in a good position. I'm going to get all my ducks in a row. What's my first step after I talk to my wife? I'm like, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to buy a house. What am I doing next? Who should I be calling? What are we working through?
1: You got to get the right team. So there's a couple of things to be said there. Definitely the right mortgage broker. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, the right real estate agent. Mm. I think uh, working with a realtor is ideal. I mean, going directly to a listing agent isn't always the best option because they, of course, have the sellers that they're um, working on behalf of. Right. At Mind, and then of course yourself. So you can do that. You can go to the listing agent of a home that you like, or you can ha- work with a trusted real realtor that is going to work on your behalf. Mm. I think the one thing to be said right now, especially, is there is some deals to be had. I think actually more, there is. Yeah, I think there's actually more yeah. than uh, we we can actually see. A lot of stuff is on MLS. I know you do a lot of uh, off market stuff. I do yeah. on your uh, your family business, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of properties on MLS, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of deals to be had. So I think there, it yeah. is a good time to be looking for a house or at least to get prepared. So, Mm -hmm. of course, when you're working with a mortgage broker, knowing what you're pre-approved for, knowing what your kind of your max is, what your budget would be, and going off of that and then working with a trusted realtor, I think you can definitely find a really good deal in a home right now.
0: Is there anything I should be considering as an individual, like if I'm an individual, that I want to line up with my finances ahead of time that I should be aware of? Like, for example, like, does it matter if I just got a new job last month? Maybe I just went off on my own and started a business. Like, is there anything that... I should make sure I understand before I pursue that that maybe it would blacklist me like hey don't don't get a mortgage right now if this like is there anything I should be worrying about
1: Well always kind of kind of bring those conversations up again every scenario is different but you kind of brought up a couple so if you're switching jobs for Mm -hmm. example if you go into a new position and you previously were at an or at another position in the same industry Mm -hmm. usually that's okay we can use that income um they'll sometimes look at what you what you made in the last two years as a two-year history if you're just out of school for example and you just landed this new job they'll look at what your guaranteed salary is Mm. usually they want to see um like your last two pay stubs. If there is a probation period, we can mitigate that as well, right. but they'd wanna know if there's a probation period, usually three months, six months, if yeah. it's government, sometimes there's a 12 month probation period. Wow. But there is lenders that we can work with um, with that. We just need to know all those details up front. So yeah. sometimes your mortgage broker, um, especially on our side, we ask for documents up front, usually two pay stubs. If we can get a job letter from your employer right. just to see what they'll write on there, if there's a probation, what your salary is and then again, those pay stubs to kind of match it. Mm. Um, if you're going into self-employment and you previously, let's say you were, worked for an electrician company, now you're gonna open up your own business. Yeah. Usually we need six months to 12 months of bank statements. Um, and that they do like to see two years of history for business owners. Mm. And then there's ways that we can um, gross that up on both the insured side and the uninsured side. But right. But yeah, that's a, again, quite a lengthy conversation 100%. on that side. 100 yeah. But there is, again, every scenario can be worked with. I think that's the biggest thing to kind of know that when you're a first-time buyer or a new buyer, whatever the case may be, that you just have to disclose all the information, talk with your team, uh, your mortgage broker, and find out if if it's uh, something that you can move forward with.
0: Mm, I see. Yeah, so it's a pretty broad conversation. It depends on the the needs, obviously. For sure. But I think that does give a, a general idea. I mean, you want... Best case scenario, you want as much income stability as you can. Yes. But worst case scenario, what you're saying is it's always worth the conversation. There's always something we can do. It's just yeah. we need to know what you're working with. So and can if there isn't, around. at
1: least you have the conversation now. So, you right. know, okay, I need, six, I need six months of income or I need another 12 right. months. So then in that time, you can focus on making sure that you continue paying your debts, obligations, mm. so your credit cards, your cars. If you can pay anything off, that's going to help your affordability, right? Your debt yeah. ratios. And then you, of course, can build your down payment.
0: Right. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Because, I mean, there probably always is a strategy if you're willing to pay for it. But I'm, I'm assuming, yeah. like, even if someone's in a tricky spot already, but they do need a house, like, n- not in a negative way, but maybe, like we said, they just started a business. But, like, just now, yeah. they're not going to have that two-year history. But I'm sure there's always options, like private lenders or B lenders, that they can use to bridge and then always come back and kind of... yeah. I mean, that with later, the right? B
1: lenders and private, usually you need twenty percent to twenty yeah. to thirty percent down, depending yeah. on the property. So, I mean, for a first time buyer, that's usually out of the question. Mm. Most first time buyers are looking to put five to fifteen percent down, depending on what the purchase wow. price is. Yeah. So, if you're looking at that to come up with another five, five to fifteen percent down payment is quite difficult to right. do unless right. you have maybe some family that can help out. Yeah. So I know most of the time when we're working with first-time buyers, for example, and they um, need need a little bit more time to be able to build their employment history or their down payment, right. th- then we just need to work with that. I mean, we typically don't that like to sense. position a private acquisition, like pr- ac- right. acquiring that prover- property privately because, of course, your carrying costs are higher. Huge, yeah. Y- your closing costs, right? There's usually fees associated with private mortgages. Mm. So that can really eat at what your down payment is right? Uh, if, there, if there is, of course, above that 20%.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That, I remember when I bought my first house, I was self-employed, just yep. a kind of newer business owner. Yeah, um, and it was a bit of a scary process because it's not, it's not, again, it's not conventional. Did you work with your bank? I worked with not my bank. I was referred to RBC, an agent at RBC, a specific person at RBC who mm-hmm. dealt with self-employed people mm-hmm. um, and small business owners, and it was the best decision because. The first two people I talked to, one was at my bank and then another was a broker. This is probably like, we're probably going back three, four years now. Yep. Um, they kind of had, it was like, no, 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 this is not going to work. The business is too new. It's not going to, we, we, we need this, we need that. Went to her at RBC, this agent that I worked with there. And she was like, yeah, yeah no problem. Give me this, give me that. Mm-hmm. And give me all these options. I didn't even know were there. there. Um, we did something called, I think it was called something like a stated income mortgage, where she was basically able to... Mm-hmm. Take, like you said, the two years of business income at a gross level, yeah. mix that with my personal kind of take home, what I pull out of that, and then find some average and multiply some weird yeah. black magic she did. Um, and the only thing was she needed 30% down, right. which I did, but she needed 30% down, that, which I, I feel like in any lending scenario, the more yeah. you have, the easier it gets. The more you can yeah. put down, the more it seems like okay. You're well, because there's less in. risk to the exactly. bank,
1: right? Or lesser risk because they have more equity in the
0: property. You're buying right? their downside essentially yeah. that yeah. would have been there. Yeah. So that makes sense. And and she orchestrated that, and it was it was super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it, it, that's why I know it really does matter. Like in every scenario, it matters who you're talking to because Absolutely. not everyone knows everything. And especially, I think if you're in that scenario of like, hey, I'm self-employed, or I just changed jobs, or I just Uh, start a new business you have to talk to someone who's done that for a client before Um, otherwise they might not know all the options that are available to them and they might be used to doing something in a very cookie cutter way
1: yeah and having the relationships with lenders again like we have very strong relationships with our lenders on on all sides right all categories which allows us to then run the scenarios by them but again when we bring them a deal they trust that we're already adequating or like underwriting it on our side so we know what needs to happen so when we bring them a deal it's easier for them to say okay like we know your files are strong these are usually good borrowers what's the problem here's like what's your proposed solution and then we work together to make Mm. sure that we can get that client the best financing options yeah right like even one of our trusted lenders td um some of the stuff that we can we can do with them again just because. We have such a great relationship,
0: right? Yeah. yeah, that that does go a long way. And I've, I've learned that, too. It's like, yeah. especially with brokers, it's it's who they know. Like, I know a couple a couple great brokers in the city and I know one of them that started. Uh, I won't mention names yet, but one started a brokerage relatively recently in the last two or three years. Yeah. And his play before he started his brokerage was basically he spent a year or two prior literally door knocking every like underwriter at every bank until he could find someone that was like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. This is what I'm going to bring you. And he basically got not in his pocket in an, in an illegal way, but just like in his pocket from a relationship understanding standpoint, Yeah, he got enough of those in place where they're like, sure, you get clients, you bring them to me, we'll get the deal done. That kind of thing. Mm. He got enough of those secured, And when he opened this office for the first time, they, they blew up, they were super successful because they had a reputation of getting every deal done. Right, And it was because he spent a year or two prior to even opening the office, just, on the relationships, which speaks to how important the lender relationship is. Yeah. You can't just say I'm a broker now and just start shopping things around. Like the relationship matters more than anything. 100% it's it who is. you know and how much they trust you yep. um and your process is yep. going to be huge. So I think yeah going with an experienced broker is is I mean, invaluable if you're going to be in a real Absolutely, real it is. And there's a lot yeah. of
1: brokerages out there that have 100 agents, and, and yeah. they, hi- they hire new people. And again, you, it's great to start in the industry. I always tell people that the mortgage industry is one of the best businesses to get into. Yeah. But if you're just at, at there and just throwing deals, these lenders see a lot of deals from that brokerage. And again, if the relationship isn't there, um, it just kind of gets thrown underneath the paper. And now this guy, was it like under the rug stuff, like bad stuff that he was bringing to them? Like uh, I not be approved? Th- because, again, there's so much of that right now, too. I
0: don't think yeah. so. Okay. I think it was all pretty. It was just, in general, he won. I'm sure some of them were, like, whatever. It was but just they, about
1: strong relationships. Yeah.
0: And, and he had okay. some clients that maybe were stretching a little bit, or maybe they had a lot, like, like you know, the job changes, mm. new businesses, that kind of stuff. Stuff that was typically a little harder to kind of make a case for. Yeah. Um, people that were maybe getting turned away by other brokerages because they, they weren't conventional streamlined. It's not mm. like, yeah, here's my two years of income history of working with the city. Like, they were more in the air, a little okay. bit, especially business owners. I think he had a lot of success with yeah. that maybe weren't showing all their income or they take a lot of cash or these kinds right. of deals. He was able to make cases for these kinds of people. Mm. Um, and it, and it, it, it helped a lot. But I've learned in my real estate career, whether it was buying my family home or the investment side, yep. that, that that relationship with your lenders and your broker is, is huge. Absolutely. Because it it's we do live in a country, either fortunately or unfortunately, where leverage is a necessity. Like you can't really do real estate at scale or even buy your home. Like you're you're not conventionally when you see an average family home, three, four bedroom and even a suburb like Bradford still mm-hmm. going for 1. 1.4, 1. 1.5 million. That's not something people would just take out of their pocket normally. We live yeah. in a country of leverage. And so that leverage is basically gatekeeped by the brokers and the lenders. And so if you yeah. don't have that relationship, you don't have that access to leverage, you really can't do real estate, yeah. right? It, it's so critical. So that's why even I want to have you on the show. And I think it's so interesting is like, Really getting to know a good broker, yeah. having that relationship, doing deals and transactions with them, building a reputation with lenders that they start to know your name and know your business too. Because yeah. even though they know you guys, it's going to be even better once they know. Like if you, if I'm an investor and I do a deal with you and we do three or four deals with the same lender, they start to know me too, and it's the reputation Absolutely. of how I am as an individual. Yeah. Um, you know, customer and your broker help.
1: represents you just as much yeah. as you represent yourself, hundred percent. Right? Like if so, you nailed the head on the. Couch. And I'm
0: sure you guys are kind of picky too, because like you also don't want to bring a client, like you don't want to bring me in and then I, I, I default. Yeah. Like it probably looks bad on you guys yeah, too. Like you, you want to do your due diligence for just your own reputation. You yeah. want to bring good clients,
1: right? And to, yeah, keep that relationship with the lender. I mean, yeah. also the capital that they l- give out, if we're sp- talking about private mortgages, uh, they lend out a million dollars on a deal. Typically I want to go back to them for future deals. Yeah. And usually short uh, private is shorter term, one to three years. Mm-hmm. So at some point we want to go back to them and say, hey, we lent you a million bucks. They paid out in a year and a half or two years. Now we want to come back and use that million bucks again. Like yeah. they want to continue rolling over their 100%. capital, right? Just as much as we want to keep using their yeah. capital. So I think the the number one golden rule in private mortgages is would you lend the money yourself? Right. Like that's the thought that you always want to have. So if it's something that you wouldn't do yourself, then you shouldn't bring it to a broker or to right. bring it to a lender. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that, that makes total sense. That yeah. makes total sense. Um, no, that's cool. And I mean, it's it just there, there's so much interesting stuff going on. And it, the problem is, it's is such an in-depth conversation too. Like when you, I'm sure we can go into any area for like an hour. Um, but I, I do want to ask you the one controversial question, the the big money question. Mm. Where do we think rates are going?
1: Oh, the big money question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying to put a like, like man her, um, a horseshoe or um, <laughs> yeah, I've I have no idea. It's a tough question. I mean, over the last couple of years, we've. Uh, all kind of ate the juice. The yeah, rate, whatever you want to. The Kool Aid. We drank I the Kool Aid. Yeah, I'm yeah. kind of bad with sayings. My wife always yeah. laughs at me. I make, I make up my own sayings. <laughs> we all drank the, time. the juice. Yeah, you're not wrong. We did. Yeah. We did drink the juice. So yeah, a lot of us did. Uh, yeah. Right. We were being told that rates were going to stay low for a long time. So variable rates were one of the the most popular thing. Um, yeah. For the last two years, uh, or sorry, previous to last March, but I think mid tw- mid to late 2024, we'll start seeing rates come down. Uh, we've seen the bond market mm-hmm. continue to go up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's at all-time highs, 16, yeah. 16 or 18-year highs. Yeah, So that affects fixed rates. Um, our Bank of Canada, um, of course, affects our uh, variable rate mortgages. Yeah. And I think 2024, maybe mid to late 2024, hopefully, mm-hmm. we'll see rates come down. We may see another increase at the end of this month, and that's October.
0: I'm thinking the same, yeah.
1: Think a lot of people are bond market usually prices in what's going to happen so the bond market's gone up by about half a point maybe even more yeah in the last month yeah so that's usually a good indication yeah that rates are going to maybe go up again i hope not um Probably yeah uh, prime right now is 7.2 yeah. i did put an example of what a mortgage sure. mortgage was in 2021 okay so if you purchased a home in 2021 for 800000 so I use an investment property, okay, right? So you're an investor. You buy your first investment property for 800000 You put 20% down. You have a mortgage of six hundred and forty. dollars um, Your prime rate was 2.45% mm-hmm. then. And then you got a discount of 50 basis points mm. as an investor. So mm-hmm. usually on a, pr- on a um, residential primary uh, owner-occupied, you'd get 0.9%. N- 0% discount right. on a rental. It was around 50 basis points, so 0.5. So your rate was 1.95. Okay. That monthly payment was 2405 back in 2021. Okay. So and then we factor in your property taxes, 340 bucks a month uh, insurance, 180 bucks a month. And then your monthly monthly rental income 4200. So again, I'm from Barry, typical duplex. Yeah. 4200 bucks is kind of there. Yeah. yeah. two twenty two yeah. up, two grand down. So that means your cash flow is twelve eighty, right? Cash flow. Now rates are seven point two prime, so Whoa. you're you're then at six point seven. So your monthly wow. payment is now forty one ninety. Oof!
0: There goes all your cash flow.
1: Yeah. So now with all of your expenses, with a forty two hundred a month rental income, you're negative five ten a month.
0: Wow. And that was, that was the flaw. We, we, I used to be involved in a lot of that, duplexes, yeah. triplexes, buy and holds. And we got out of it, thankfully, mm-hmm. over the last two years. Yeah. Um, I didn't know this was coming. But what I, what I started to see was that fear of like, mm-hmm. I mean, what, what you just described is actually like like the, the earlier scenario where you're cash flowing like almost two grand a month yeah. is a really good scenario because there was a lot of people out in like Hamilton and those areas like two, three years ago. They were overpaying, and like they were happy to cash flow two, three hundred bucks a month. Yeah. And I always looked at that like, if anything changes in this market, mm-hmm. you're screwed. Like you're holding a a seven figure asset to make three hundred dollars a month. Like, and anything changes, you go negative. And now you still have this asset, and maybe prices come down. It was just, and they're trying to make a business out of that. Like I, yeah. there was this whole trend of people trying to become full time investors on these two hundred dollar a month cash flow properties. Yeah, it
1: was literally getting thrown around. Everyone was doing mastermind. everybody.
0: Yep. And it was so dangerous, and it was so risky. And then this happened—that scenario you just described—and those people that were cash flowing two hundred dollars only are now like negative two grand a month. And I just, I just talked to somebody today on the way here. He had six properties. He's now selling at least five of them because every single one of them is. He said he's losing ten thousand dollars a month right now. That's crazy. He's negative ten grand a month. They went from a wonderful cash flowing real estate business to negative ten k a month, right? Which does he have a good job? To be able to like afford, uh, afford that or is he like he's self employed. I don't want to give away like I don't give it too no, much because no, no, don't no, no, know no. who he is. Yeah. But he's self employed. Okay. So his income is up and down. So he has the ability to maybe make some more cash. He does. Yeah. And so he's basically biting the bullet. But yeah. he's he's talking about selling anywhere from half of the portfolio now to ninety percent of it. That's a lot to cover the offset, maybe only keeping one or two. And it's unfortunate. In-
1: I was just going to say company. it's unfortunate for him to like bounce back from that cuz a lot yeah. of investors like they're like okay well I'll deleverage right now yeah. and then I'll maybe hold some cash so then when the market comes back yeah. I'll, I'll start doing it again. Yeah. And a lot of people are exiting single family or duplexes total you know, up to fourplexes because of the financing component. Also um, just cash flow. Yeah. Like like you said it used to be 200 to 400 bucks a month they were like happy about earning. yeah And then we got spoiled and everyone was like making fifteen hundred, yep. two grand yep. a month in cash flow. So if you don't factor in your property taxes yeah. and other expenses, you were making like two grand a month. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they were getting spoiled with that. Yeah. And then yeah, they get they get burned. Yeah. I, I know quite a few people that are deleveraging. And and again, yes. you should if you're in a situation where you have to. like you're negative ten grand yep. or anywhere close to that. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's scary times. Or imagine if you have a unforeseen expense. Furnace breaks. Yeah, you're done. Flood. Yeah. Whatever the case may be. Like if you're it's negative five hundred bucks a month on that property and yeah. you're strapped on your primary yeah. residence, yeah. meaning you can't afford, yeah. So that five hundred bucks is like really hurting you. And yeah. then you have another two thousand or three thousand dollar expense land on your table, or someone doesn't pay rent for a couple months. Yeah. And you know the land tenancy board, like, yeah. Good
0: luck getting them out. Oh, it, it's impossible. We yeah. we had recently we had a triplex where someone hasn't paid in almost a year, and before we can get them out, stop paying. We started the Nuts. process, and by the time we got them out, it was twelve months. Right. Yeah. And so it's, I, I, A, we're not in a country that's very friendly to landlords. It's very tenant focused, yeah. um, which sounds great and fair for you as a tenant, but it's actually not because it discourages investors, which means you, mm. if, if no one's buying these properties to rent out, yep. you as a renter have nowhere to live and it creates yep. a problem. So it's not great. But and, then, rise, and
1: rising rents. Yeah, right? It affects our rent costs. 100%. That's how, why we've seen, sure, we also see people not being able to qualify for homes, so that yeah. factors into the rise in rent. More renters. And more people coming to Canada. We can have a conversation Oof. about that. But if you're um, not importing, <laughs> you're not importing, <laughs> but if your immigration is bringing in over a it's million small people. Small crates. Yeah. We're not importing people. Yeah. But if um, if you're immigrating over a million people a year and you're not building enough houses, sure, that affects your rental. But yeah. uh, but of course, if your landlords can't get people out, they got to raise rents just to be able to Bring in more cash flow,
0: hundred percent. I yeah. mean, th- that's why I think that the solution to this housing crisis. Everyone's focused on the micro of like, oh, the rates or this or no. The solution to this height, this, this this real estate crisis we have, this affordability crisis, this everything, is both sides of the aisle coming together and realizing we need to work together. 100%. Investors, end users, tenants they all have to sit together and say listen we're in the same boat yep. if i'm renting it's because either i don't want to put out a large chunk of capital to buy the house i can't or i can't it's mm-hmm. one of the two yep. fine and if i'm an investor I'm in this to make money. I'm not investing for charity. I'm not investing for fun. I'm investing to make money. And we both have to understand each other. You need a place mm-hmm. to live. It's convenient. I'm going to save you capital and I need to make some money. And in return, we both have to make sure we're comfortable doing that. Yep. The problem is we have this like disparity where the landlord and the owner, the investor is the enemy. Yeah. They're evil because they're, they're, they're making money on housing. Yep. And the renter is looked at as like this poor renter who we have to support and give them everything they want. The problem with that is policies that, that cater just to protecting the renter, mm-hmm. although sound noble, do what we just said. They hurt the market for the yeah. investor, less people buying, less people renting out creates a big problem. If you don't have the money to buy a house and no one's renting them, where the hell do you live? Like mm-hmm. that creates a serious problem. Yep. So we have to be willing to say, no, no, it's, it's fine. We want investors. We you, please come make money, make money in housing, make money in rent, because we need you to provide this, this solution. Yep. And if you encourage enough of that, it actually solves itself because the more investors we have buying property, the more competition, the natural competition there is that will help suppress rents. The more rental units available, the less pressure on rental pricing, which ultimately is better for that renter, for that tenant. So those tenants need to be actually looking at investors like, no, let's encourage it. Let's work with investors. Let's encourage investing. Let's encourage building of more dedicated rental buildings and units. Let's give tax incentives to people doing multifamily. Let's help more of that happen because that will A, give us the housing we need, and B, bring down the rental pricing. But that's not happening. Everyone's fighting everybody. Everybody's the enemy. We don't want you to make money. So the renters hate the landlords. And the landlords, in a lot of cases now, are getting bitter towards the tenants. Yep. You're just living in my house. You're not paying rent. You're not. That's not what we need. We need both sides to come together and say, okay, we do need each other. And the moment that can happen and then policy can reflect that cultural and social change, I think we see real change. 100%. But we're not there yet. No, I
1: I don't know. It's going to take some um, definitely meddling into both both sides, right? Yeah. Um, We also need changes in that tenancy board. Like, again, it's, I think, six months or even longer to get in and get a court case. And again, that affects both sides. Um, But it also, again, if we have more rentals, if we have an influx of good real estate investors building purpose-built rentals, it allows us to weed out the ones that are not the bad ones, right? The ones that are bad tenants or landlords. Yeah. Because there is, right? For sure. We all know that. And then there's bad tenants. Yeah. Which- Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. On both sides. It'll allow it to definitely be a better process.
0: Yeah. No, 100%. 100%. 100%. I mean, the only thing left on my mind here is uh, when it comes to buying real estate right now, I kind of made a, I made a bit of a gamble. It's funny because we, mm-hmm. we, we trade real estate so often, whether it's for clients or it's our investment properties that I'm doing. Um, I don't think twice about it, but when it comes to buying my own home, for some reason, it's right. always a different feeling. Yeah. Uh, I think it's cause it doesn't make you any money. <laughs> yeah. I just got to spend money to do it. Right. And I know it's not coming back anytime soon. Um, but you know, I, I did just pull the trigger. We, we bought a pre-con deal. I don't know if I told you this yet. No, we, I don't think so. We bought a pre-con in, uh, in Bradford. Okay. It's going to be done in about 12 months or okay. so. Probably, yep. probably going to be pushed, but whatever. Yeah, it might get pushed. 12 months or so. Um, and everyone's kind of asking me, I get this question a lot of like, why right now rates are so high, the mortgages are going to be crazy. You're going to pay, I think like if I put 30% down, the mortgage is like 6,500 a month is the kind of where we're at. And everyone's like, why would you, why would you do that? Um, and this is a valid question. I want to address it because it's the question of timing. And I asked you before the big question of like, where are rates going? And so to bring it back to that. I have an opinion on this and I'm curious on what yours is going to be or what you think of my opinion. Mm -hmm. But basically the reason why I'd say you should still buy now, I think if you want to make a move, A, when you decide that you're going to buy a house, it's also a personal decision. Do you need it? Yep. I need a place for my family or growing family. We need more space. I want in a certain community. We want safety. I want security. At some point I need to do it. Mm -hmm. So then I got to think about timing and we look at where we're at now. It's like, yes, rates are very high. The problem is it's very hard to catch a falling knife. You don't know exactly when it's gonna go the other way. It could be three months from now, it could be 10 months from now, it could be three years from now. So at some point you have to bite the bullet and say, if I need to do this, I'm gonna do it now. But you still wanna be smart. And so the way that I thought of it is like, we're at least in the worst case scenario, I think, and maybe tell me I'm wrong, I think we're somewhere close to the peak. I don't think we go from seven to 14. Like, I, I don't think that's happening. I don't think we can go much higher. Maybe we do. Maybe we go seven and a half. Maybe we go eight. Maybe we go. Maybe maybe we go nine. Oh my God, nine, right? But I don't think it goes much beyond that. And so I think even if you buy now at these high rates, which I think you should do, because right now there's deals, like you said. Mm-hmm. Now people are negotiating. Now people are willing to take a hit. They're like you're getting way better deals now, even from builders. Yeah. Like we managed to, to wrangle a deal from a builder in Bradford less than the starting price of comparable homes up in Georgina. Yeah. Um, that's so that was my next
1: next question is what was the um, negotiation and what was your purchase price compared to like maybe it's high in 2022. Yeah. Right? Like, like you're getting, you're getting such a good deal on the house. So that, yeah, exactly. if, let's say rates do go down in six months. Yeah, That same builder is probably going to increase the price of that home.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right? So
1: you're locking that, that home in now. And if you're going to enjoy it yourself, again, there's a lot of people that are getting into trouble with pre-cons and trying to assign them or sell them before. I don't know if you... I listen to podcasts all the time, and there's quite a few out there that talk about, uh, Realtors specifically, that talk about situations that they see, especially in the Toronto GTA market where people are holding like... A lot I don't know if you there's one and I guess the guy bought like maybe 10
0: oh my recon,
1: god and he tried to try to uh, get mortgages on some of them he's already oh, lost Jesus. two yeah but he can't get mortgages can't get financing because that's a problem too is are you gonna be able to uh, um, get financing um, yeah. 12 months from now yeah. so I know when you do exactly. work with a builder they usually have a relationship with yeah. a, one of the banks yeah which they lock in rates typically for the, the duration of that build, yeah. either one to two years yeah so it's always a good idea i always suggest my clients take those start take with those that because yeah. then once 90 days or 120 days out from the per- the closing date that's when we start chopping around and seeing yeah. if i can beat that rate exactly and, and we probably will exactly that's very yeah. cool
0: yeah and i mean and you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with where i was going to go with that which is like yeah you're i mean we we don't know where rates are going to go. No, nope. but we do know that right now prices are down. Yes, we do know prices are suppressed. That that's a mm-hmm. certainty. We're yep. paying less now than we were 12 months ago. Yep, and so you might as well take the thing that's certain because like the way I've been saying it to clients too is I'm like I'm like prices forever. What you paid will always be what you paid. Mm-hmm. Right, you, yep. your purchase price won't change after no. you live in the house. No, your interest rate will. Yeah, interest rates are temporary. So that I think there's that saying that's been floating around. It's not my invention, but I think it was something like. Um, like you, you're marrying the price, but you're dating your rates. That's yeah, how you get married Marry about the it. home, but you date the rate. There you go. Mm-hmm. So marry the home date, the rate. Yeah. That's how I think of it. Is like, listen, at the end of the day, we're getting a solid deal. Like this yeah. house we're buying a, a friend of ours actually bought pre-con two minutes away, same mm-hmm. area. Um, two years ago, we're paying yeah. the same thing that two years ago. And so it, it's, it's cooled off significantly because yeah. if yeah. I did this six months ago, we were looking about $200,000 more. Yeah, that's crazy. So if I save $200,000, but I eat a rate for like a year, big mm-hmm. deal. We know we're somewhere at the peak, yep. but the moment those rates do cool off, guess what's going to happen to pricing again? Mm-hmm. And you can't undo pricing. No. So if I wait for that beautiful low rate finally to buy a house, but now I'm paying three, $400,000 more, yep. you can't undo that. That's no. always part of the house. And so I think that's why now is actually a beautiful time. It's a sweet spot. I think if you're trying mm-hmm. to buy now, talk to your your brokers, your agents, your lenders, um, get your stuff in order. And I think now is a really good time because it is. Soon as everyone else catches on, okay, yeah, we're cooling off. That's the last rate hike. Everyone's yeah. going to rush again at the same time. Yeah. Prices are going to drive up again, and you miss the boat. Yeah, so and I you know, you
1: know going. better than anyone. Realtors do drive the market. So when yeah. rates go up, when rates do go down, there's going to be an influx of people coming back to the market yeah. because they're going to. Everyone's going to reach out to their database and saying rates are down. Like now, you need to buy. Yeah. Which the, people are doing now, yeah. right? People are saying rates are high, but prices are down. They're having the same conversation. Yeah. But it's it's going to go the other way as soon as rates come down, yeah. and I think we all know that. Right. All of us see things and, and you can see history that when rates come down, prices come exactly. back up. I mean, I, uh, it is nice that we have seen a little bit of a correction. The, the market in Canada and specifically has just yeah. been nuts over the last three years. And so we did need to see a little we bit. Needed of a, a, we needed yeah, it. It was getting yeah, crazy yeah. Um, and unaffordable for a lot of people. And unfortunately, yeah. it is still unaffordable. And all I, like, the only thing we can say is that we just need to try and work with it. If, a, if home ownership is yeah. in your future goals, then we just need to figure out a plan to get you there. Yeah. I mean, there's always ways to increase your income because that's the number one factor. Income and down payment um, and, of course, your credit. credit but, uh, but, yeah, like there is always things that you yeah. can do.
0: Right? And I think, I think more people will have to be willing to also share space. Yeah. I think you have to, hey, hey, can I go in with my my, my brother and his wife and we can yep. split this house up, live there yep. for two years make some money and then we can go our separate ways. Yeah, I think more families have, and that's what you see a lot more in Europe. You see families mm-hmm. living together, parents, yep. siblings, brothers, sisters, friends. It's more common yep. here. We're kind of stuck on the idea of this isolated home ownership, my home for me. But when you get to the prices we're at, that might not be reasonable, especially for a first time buyer. Yeah. And if you can pool four incomes instead of two, it makes it a lot easier. Yep. Right. And mm-hmm. so I think that's something people have to have to look at too, one way or the other, but either which mm-hmm. way, I think the next three to six months is a really good time to get in mm-hmm. and. I think pre-con is more attractive now than ever because you're arbitraging that rate. You're locking in the purchase price. You're getting, you're you're getting the thing today that's good, which is the purchase price, but you don't actually have to like absorb that rate and those payments for potentially 12 months, 24 months, three years. Like some of the condos we sell through here, my, my brokerage, we do a lot of pre-con some of these condos are three to four years out. So you're locking in pricing today. But you're not actually going to pay a mortgage for three to four years. Right. And you're hoping in four years we've come back to something more normal. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And hopefully um, prices
1: have came up. I mean, that's exactly. always the hopeful, hopeful uh, goal, right, in any pre-con is that yeah. prices have came up and you're going to get a good buy. Exactly. And then you, of course,
0: get a good rate at that time in, yeah. in hopes, right? 100%. So I think it's a great time for pre-con, whether yeah. you're buying your home or you're doing an investment. But mm-hmm. either which way, I think now is a really good spot. Because once mm-hmm. we miss this window, who knows when the next time is. Like, we might climb. We, we might... Climb for another three years, five years, 10 yeah. years. We don't know what the next cycle looks like. Yeah. We just know right now it's slow. And man, sellers are are flexible. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's definitely They're,
1: a time to negotiate. Like buyer's so market. Many, yeah, so many different terms. I don't know if you saw um, that one podcast, Daniel Foch. He was, ta- or not just a podcast, but he posted it. Um, how VTBs, I think you mentioned, we were talking about that, weren't we? Or was it somewhere else? Yeah. VTBs are at the highest they've ever been. Oh yeah. Sellers are often yeah. VTBs.
0: For investors. Yeah. hundred uh,
1: percent. Investors are even if it's going to be a primary, it's very, it's tougher to f- like add that financing into a primary, um, or owner occupied, yeah. but there is ways that you can do it. For sure. Um, the other thing, again, something just slipped my mind, but, um, but yeah, negotiation right now, uh, to get a good deal. It's definitely there. Yeah. It's a buyer's market.
0: You have a lot of options, and, and it's crazy. Like When you look at most listings now, like sold listings, especially yeah. our, like Simcoe County, yeah. most stuff's selling under ask. Yes. And so it people is. have, there, there's room. You have lots of conditions. You can get yeah. your closing terms that you want. You can do everything that you need to do now. You can do what you couldn't yeah. do last year. You, no. could, you couldn't even barely get financing conditions last year
1: yeah or more so like the, the end of 2021 and beginning
0: of 2022. that's what i meant yeah, yeah yeah by the way covid wiped my brain so i have a missing year me too <laughs> everything yeah. is everything was two years ago yeah. i feel feels like, like last at, year
1: i feel because sometimes people ask how long have you have been a mortgage broker i'm like yeah four <laughs> or five years it's like it's three and a half years but yeah I'm it's like, a yeah. time warp it's a, it's it, it was crazy busy i mean even for you guys during that time it's yeah. nuts i know you sold a business and stuff but you've been it heavily did. invested in, in in real estate so
0: yeah, That's, yeah, I sold yeah. the marketing biz in that time, so that kept yeah. me busy, and then I, I kind of went all in on real estate now, which has been, I think it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a bittersweet thing because like we said, the market's kind of weird, mm. but at the same time, it's great. I'm, I'm learning Absolutely. a lot more, we're getting more creative. I've, my skills actually are coming into play now because like yeah. before, every agent could just like put up a listing and it sells. Yeah. Now they need to actually market, position, brand. How do we promote? And most agents don't know how to do that. Yep. So and it's given me such an edge to take like the marketing agency world and bring that into real estate. Um, and now is the time that that was needed more than ever. So like, mm, it couldn't 100%. have worked out better. Yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, thank you for bringing that up. But that was a fun, uh, yeah, selling last year was, was a big thing. So I'm glad mm-hmm. I did. I'm glad I'm in real estate now. I can work with great people like you and do more deals and yeah. do fun stuff like this podcast. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to actually come out and do this. My pleasure. I think it was helpful. Is there anything was- else you want to leave everyone with on a last final note?
1: I don't, I don't think so. I mean, we touched on so many good topics. I think the biggest thing is if you have any questions, reach out to yourself or me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's we're always great great spots to be able to seek advice and, and kind of point you in the right direction. So I think that would be the biggest thing, is just be open to having those conversations, Yeah. hard or good, whatever yeah. they are. Um, if you're going through hard times, definitely reach out to a, uh, to a broker to figure out what kind of the best solution is. Yeah. And then, of course, we work with realtors to figure out yeah. if, if there's a good option to sell. Um, yeah, just hundred um, percent. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing.
0: I think that's a great point to end on. I yep. mean, conversations have to be had. Absolutely, and I think a lot of people are too afraid to take the first step. Yep. they have all these misconceptions in their mind. Yep. they're 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 in an echo chamber, basically. And they're afraid to reach out until they think everything is perfect. Mm. But that's not what it's got to be. They got to yep. reach out, talk to your real estate agent, talk to your, your mortgage broker, start telling them what you're thinking, tell them where you're at, because yep. together we can come up with a plan. And no conversation is not worth having. I think every, yeah. every broker agent is happy to just have the conversation, see yeah. where we can help, um, and help you figure out your, your, your plan. Whether you're an investor, you're like, Hey, I have this portfolio. I'm trying to figure out, um, how to make these payments work. Is it a refinance option? Should I sell half? What should I do? Or you're trying to grow yep. or you're just a first time house buyer, whatever it is, whatever situation you're in, you should be. As soon as you get that, like thought of, I have to be buying or selling anything right now, yep. have the conversations, Absolutely. talk to the right professionals. Don't be afraid to reach well, out.
1: Our, our advice is free right? Exactly. I don't charge anyone for anything until I close a mortgage. Um, And then again, most of the time, the payment's coming from the bank. So advice is free. Um, The other thing, you mentioned real estate investors. For them, it's even a great time to buy right now. So if you are a real estate investor and you're sitting on the sideline, you're thinking is now a good time. Again, negotiation right now is is in your favor. It is a buyer's market. So if you can cash flow a property right now at the peak of rates, as we said, we're Mm -hmm. probably there. Then when rates do come back down, you'll be able to cash flow even more Um, or if your exit strategy is to sell that home in a couple of years after maybe you do some updates to it, yeah. you're going to see an influx in that value potentially, right? Agreed. As and rates, there's as rates go down, so. so
0: many sellers that are liquidating portfolios now yep. that need yep. the money and will take discounts, like yep. heavy discounts. Yep. So it's a great time to buy. Yeah, yep. if you if you have the position and you yep. have the liquidity to do it yep. and the right brokers <laughs> right, uh, yep. to get you the money, then yep. it's, a, it's a great time to do it. Yep. I, I agree, man. Yeah, so just leave it on that, I guess.
1: Beautiful. Yeah, I think that's great. Where
0: can people uh, find you?
1: uh of course uh, on instagram action jackson dash 20 i think yeah uh, it's funny i've <laughs> had think. that handle we'll drop it uh, somewhere below don- donaldsoncapital.com yeah. and then uh, jack at donaldsoncapital.com nice is my email address but yeah anytime uh i, I really enjoyed coming on today awesome thanks awesome. for coming on man I had mm-hmm. a great time yeah You too. talk to you next time absolutely
0: thanks for tuning in to another episode of inside canadian real estate guys don't forget if you like the episode if you found it enjoyable, if you learned something, if you liked our guest, if you liked our topics, don't forget to subscribe to Inside Canadian Real Estate on Instagram. That's where you'll find all of our clips posted. We're also sharing on YouTube. So just search Inside Canadian Real Estate on YouTube, follow along. And please, 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 if you really want to help the show, because again, there's not a lot of Canadian content on real estate. We're putting a lot of money and time into this. If you really want to help us expand, don't forget subscribe to the show on wherever you're listening to your podcast leave a review if you can whether it's on apple Podcasts or google Podcasts, spotify subscribe to the show follow the show don't forget to leave that review and please if you found it useful share it with somebody share it with a friend we don't charge you for the show we don't run any ads all i ask is you share it and help us get the word out thanks again guys